You are listening to the Root Simple Podcast. On this episode of the much-delayed Root Simple Podcast, uh, my excuse is I've been working on home remodeling projects. Anyways, on this episode, I speak with journalist David Gumpert about raw milk. Before we get to the interview, I want to thank our Patreon subscribers, Dan F., Heather E., Lynn G., K., Scott G., Kellyan, Stephanie L., Erica R., Kelton M., Kyle P., Nicholas H., David and Sandy S., Eric of Garden Fork, and supporters Michael W., Dutch Girl, Mary H., Stephen T., and Johan. If you'd like to become a patron and make an ongoing pledge to support our podcast and blog, you can find a link in the show notes and on the right side of our blog at rootsimple.com. David is a journalist and writer who has covered small business and food issues. He was a staff reporter with the Wall Street Journal and a small business editor of the Harvard Business Review. He was also a senior editor of Inc. Magazine. David is the author of Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Food Rights and The Raw Milk Revolution, Behind America's Emerging Battle Over Food Rights. And now, my conversation with David Gumpert, recorded on April 24, 2018. David, uh, actually, the first the first question I had for you was just your history with 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 raw milk. What interested you about it in the first place, and and how did you end up uh, writing about it so much? Uh, that's a that's a good question. I, I sometimes ask myself that question. <laughs> right. how, did, how did I get here? Because uh, it's not something that I would have expected uh, from my upbringing or my uh, my interests. I I, um, I I grew up in a big city, and I I've been a journalist for many years with a number of kind of, you know, establishment kinds of publications, Wall Street Journal and Harvard Business Review, places like that. Um, I always have had an interest, though, in, uh, I don't know, call it natural health or um, natural approaches. I spent many years writing about uh, entrepreneurship and small business. I kind of, um, after I, I started working as a journalist with the Wall Street Journal, and I got interested in, in the smaller business side, the new business creation process and all that. And, and I wrote about that for, for a number of years and wrote several books, about a half a dozen books on starting a business and, um, and managing a small business and writing a business plan and that, those kinds of subjects. And, and they, they, I, I achieved a pretty interesting following there. The, business, the books did well. And uh, I was writing in... Um, uh, in 2006 for Business Week Online and doing a kind of regular column for them. And I came across information, just a very, I think it was a small article somewhere in a Midwest publication about a, a Michigan Department of Agriculture had had raided a, uh, a farm, or actually it had a little more, uh, more specifically, they had stopped a farmer who was delivering food to members of the cooperative that he ran. And and this was in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And I, I, so I looked into it a little bit more because the article didn't, but it's meant, the article mentioned that the, the authorities were concerned that the, the farmer was uh, uh, selling raw milk. And I really uh, knew nothing about raw milk. I didn't even know that people still drank milk unpasteurized. But I, I, I was drawn to the, to the story by virtue of the fact that the why, why was the government going after farmers and, and, and confiscating their food or you know, going after this particular farmer and confiscating his food? 
what was what was so problematic about the food. Uh, it just had always in writing about small business and entrepreneurship. You know, one of the complaints you get from business owners is about regulation and that there's too much regulation. And I, it, it's actually one of the uh, things that experts starting small business advise people who are going to start a business to be careful of not getting into an area that's too heavily regulated. Because that, that just being involved with regulators is just, it can get to be um, an expensive, time consuming, really interfere with the, the growth of the business. So here are these farmer, here was a farmer who, who's a business owner. He's a small business owner when you come down to it. He was dealing with these regulators, and I'd never heard of regulators coming down so hard on a small business to the extent that they would just confiscate food. When there, when there wasn't any obvious kind of emergency surrounding, it wasn't as if there was some kind of outbreak or um, uh, you know some kind of a compl- uh, complaint from people who were getting sick or, or or whatever, it just seemed to come out of the blue. And so I I wound up interviewing the farmer, and he was kind of blown away. And then kind of one thing leading to another, learning about the the controversy about raw milk to me. I mean, people wanted a certain food. It, it seemed like, why were they being prohibited from from getting it, being able to get it? And that was kind of the question that I asked then, and I, I still ask when because it, it still goes on these these raids and these um, either confiscations or shutdowns of farms or you know whatever they you know variations in in, in between where they um, uh, declare uh, you know. Uh, food on a farm uh, off limits or um, whatever. So that's kind of, I mean, a long answer to your question, but um, it, 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 because it, that, that farmer I wrote about in Ann Arbor, a fellow in there, Richard Hebron, actually, um, I wound up following the case and writing more columns about it. And I had just started this blog, which I called The Complete Patient. And I really, I, I thought it was going to be about alternative health. Uh, because, as I said, I had some interest in that, but I didn't really know what I was going to do with it, and I was just going to be kind of, a, I don't know, some personal ramblings and whatever. And I wound up writing, you know, I couldn't businessweek.com didn't want it <laughs> that much about this farmer. I mean, I wrote a, I wrote a couple of articles for them, but I mean, the whole thing, you know, that was the case was referred to a, the, the local district attorney. It, it you know, the, the people. Uh, members of the co-op started writing letters to him, and it became a whole cause celeb. I don't know. I was drawn to it, and I to the to the kind of to me the outrageousness of it. You know, just kept writing about, it. and that after that case, there I found out about other cases, and I was writing about those. And uh, uh, around the same time, there was um, a shutdown of a farm out in your neck of the woods, organic pastures run, right, run by right. Mark McAfee. Uh, some kids had gotten sick from his milk, or, or at least that was the claim. So I wrote about that and got to know Mark. And, uh, you know, so it just kind of uh, went from there. It's one of those, uh, and, and, you know, one of those situations where you would think, or I would have thought that there would be kind of um, accommodation or some kind of, you know, understanding reach be, be, between the sides. And it never really has come to that. I mean, I think that. My writing about it, uh, both via the blog and um, 
uh, via other uh, you know articles I was doing for businessweek.com or um, through through I, I wrote three books about various aspects of this. I think that as a result of all of that, the the authorities did push uh, pull back some. They 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 uh, wound up losing uh, a case against a farmer selling raw milk in Wisconsin, in I think it was two thousand. I'm going to say 2013, and that after that they they really just uh, I think that sent a message around the country that it was just you know, because the whole thing was kind of fraught from their point of view, from the regulators' point of view, it was fraught with all kinds of problems. Uh, for, to, to beginning with the fact that they just looked bad, and then you know, people would c- complain to their politicians, uh, their local, you know, their state reps, uh, you know, what the hell is going on? Why are they? Why are these? Uh, uh, regulators spending time uh, hauling in farmers. I mean, but don't they have you know better things to do with their time? It's not generally very productive for the regulators in the sense of um, you know getting uh, kudos. Like you know, if they track down, I don't know if there's you know people are getting sick from like right now they're getting sick from romaine lettuce and the E. coli 0157H7. So they you know that they, they it, 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 it's certainly a lot more productive for them and, 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 and it looks much better if they can find the large lettuce grower, you know, has this bad lettuce um, that they, they, they weren't uh, washing properly, whatever it is. And, and the, the, the regulators kind of become the, the sleuths, you know, the detectives who track it all down and uh, make the food safer. And so that, that's, a, that's a much more um, positive kind of an outcome for them than, a, you know, um, uh, shutting down a farm, small farm, and getting uh, their customers uh, all upset and upsetting the community, which, which respects the farmer usually. If things had seemed to, to calm down, I'm not sure. I think there, I, there are some things going on now, some of which I'm not really at liberty to talk about, but um, there are some things going on now that indicate that they're just, you know, they just, they're back at it. The regulators at it. They're back at it. And, um, you know, to, to the, for, for whatever reason, but it's it's a kind of a um, there there doesn't doesn't seem to be a real accommodation. In other words, the, the food uh, the, the food police, the public health officials, just really for the most part are extremely negative um, and prejudiced toward raw dairy, and I think that comes from what they were taught and. Yeah, which is, I wanted to ask you about that, because one of the things that makes your blog so addictive is that it actually has the quality of a a Western, you know, because you have these raids with guns drawn, as you mentioned, things like that, and this kind of fervency on the side of the regulators. I mean, I I volunteered for the Extension Service as a master food preserver, and um, their attitude towards raw milk, I mean, I, I understand their argument, but it had this kind of fervency to it that was, was that struck me as a little odd. Uh, and I wondered what, why, why they're so down on it, why the, the, why the raids on small farmers, which you know, you're saying there's less of that now, but certainly there was a lot of that a few years ago. What was, what was the motivation, do you think, behind that? I think it has to do with the fact that uh, raw milk uh, is uh, served to children. I mean, and milk tends to be consumed by children. So uh, parents who who, who, who uh, buy raw milk are usually buying it for their kids, and they be in the in the 
um, believe that the, the, that it's healthier for their kids, and their kids will um, uh, have uh, uh, better immune systems, and they'll they'll that's just just um, has more nutrients, better nutrient quality nutrients, and so um, and that's that so that's kind of what's driving the parents, and that's the same thing that's driving the regulators to to them. If 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 when raw milk makes people sick, it usually there's some children involved, and mm-hmm. so. There's nothing that will make, you know, a lot of people uh, very passionate in protecting kids. And that's what um, these regulators often see themselves as doing, is that they're, they're doing it for the kids mm-hmm. and um, in their minds. And, they're, you know, if they, they, they can keep a kid from getting sick, that's a real accomplishment, and, you know, in, in their view of the, of, of the world. So that's kind of, um, and that's also what makes the whole thing. As emotional as it is, in terms of when you can start getting discussions, pro and con, is that um, those who are against raw milk say, well, you know, little kids get very sick. We, as the adults, uh, owe it to them to, to protect them. And so, um, right, like the like the documentary on Netflix, Rotten, which I yeah, know you have yeah. some issues on, but it it follows that that yeah. narrative, right? They they try. Yeah, well, it, yeah, exactly, yeah. and it it actually. Um, yeah, it's it's it, it's uh, it, it's it's um, <laughs> you know, as a journalist, I, I have to, I always uh, kind of am aware of uh, how the subject is covered, and it's I've seen so often this kind of um, narrative, a journalistic narrative that, that unfolds, where a, a journalist will come, and I, I've I probably talked to it. I'm going to say I've talked to a dozen of them over the years from various different, you know, everything from, you know, uh, like New York Times and Wall Street Journal down to, you know, the, the local uh, city paper or, or community paper. And they'll start out, you know, they'll, 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 they'll it sound as if they're really interested in understanding the subject. And eventually, when their story comes out, in, in, invariably, it's focused on someone who got sick or whose, whose child got sick. And that becomes the kind of the centerpiece of the, of the whole thing. And I, I kind of, I mean, I, I, you know, as a, as a journalist, I, I think, you know, you have a responsibility to kind of, you're always kind of trying to balance. You, you want to make the, uh, you, you know, the kind of the, the uh, story you write um, interesting and, and you're looking, so you're looking for the, the, the drama and you're looking for um, uh, the blood and guts, as it were, if there is any. And, and so the, the journalists just seem to be drawn almost like, you know, you know bears to honey uh, by uh, the, the, the stories of illness. And so that and that's what happened with the Netflix. The, the uh, actually the, the 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 segment they did on uh, dairy was pretty good overall right, right. until until they, until they got to this mother uh, of a, a very outspoken mother who a child who got sick um, back in 2007 2006 excuse me 2006 all right so this is um, 2008 so this is uh, uh, 12 years ago uh, her son got sick but she's she still gets like center stage in this um, in this documentary, to kind of come make the make the point that raw dairy is terribly dangerous, and to the extent that you know they they 
they showed video of, of her son, you know, in, a, in the ICU and, the, you know, with uh, he, he had uh, developed a condition known as hemolytic uremic syndrome where his uh, uh, kidneys stopped functioning. And that's one of the symptoms of HUS. And it was a terrible situation. However, I mean, you know, you, 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 you can if you, you report about food and food safety and there are and just the same as almost like you, know, you can report on automobile accidents or automobile safety. You're going to find some awful stories out there. Uh, but to, to try to use a single story to kind of um, discredit an entire class of food. Just um, I don't know. It bothered me. It could be, but it happens. It, it, it wasn't the first time it's happened. I've, like I said, I've seen this this uh, scenario play out over and over and over, where journalists seem to go in with a well-meaning attitude, and they come out. The story that comes out is focused on this um, the, the the fear uh, around you know someone who got he just got sick, and it oftentimes around this particular parent because she she's very. Uh, outspoken and active, so she's out there. Anytime there's a story, somehow she she learns about it. And I think she learns, you know, she learns about it from people in the public health arena who know her. And so she becomes the uh, the you know the, I don't know the the argument, um, the conclusion. She becomes the conclusion mm-hmm. that raw milk is uh, unsafe, and it seems kind of um, doesn't seem very um, objective, you know, as, as uh, because, you know, I mean, if you look at the data, we can talk about that. But yeah, I was going to ask you, you about at, the yeah, data. Yeah, if you look at the data, raw milk is not uh, especially unsafe compared to a lot of other foods. I mean, we part of the problem is we don't have great data, but the data that we have it indicates that it, it, it isn't terribly unsafe. And maybe more important from my perspective as a, as a journalist, the trends are not especially worrisome. It, it's not like it's, you know, there are more and more illnesses every single year. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's a very uneven kind of a, a thing. So you might have a, some years where you have a spike in illnesses, and then you have other years where it dips way down. It just seems to be kind of random. I, I think there's some other things going on. And actually, in the last few years, I think we've seen a, a, a decline, although this is more an impressionistic on my part, because or just because we don't have great data. And I can I can tell tell you a little bit about the whole data situation, but that's you know. But so what happens is well, there's not great data. The public health community doesn't like to talk about data, and that's partly because they can't really <laughs> prove their their argument with data. So they they, they tend to rely on you know the, 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 these this parent <laughs> to to make the to do the fear mongering for them. Well, I, I guess there's kind of two data questions. There's is the is uh, commercially available homogenized or excuse me pasteurized milk safer than raw milk? And then the other question would be, I guess, when we're talking about kids, is the benefits of raw milk does that outweigh the the risks of it? Right. In data wise, well, yeah. And, and, and to your first question, uh, everything uh, I've been able to look at and examine suggests that pasteurized milk is safer from a food safety point of view. In other words, you're, you're less likely to get sick from a pathogen drinking pasteurized milk than drinking raw milk. That being said, the dairy uh, uh, um, category is, and, and you, you, if you look at uh, 
the data and you go to, I think it's called the Center for Food Safety. It's a, it a nonprofit organization that kind of keeps track of, of uh, illnesses with, around food. And they, they, they categorize dairy as one of the safest food categories. So um, within this safe food category, raw milk is more is riskier than pasteurized milk. But neither of them is especially risky. Or it is, as I put it this way, it's terribly risky. So, and I think it, and it kind of leads to your second question, well, in terms of um, uh, which is, um, you know, what's the, is, is I think you're, you're asking, is, is this, does the, the kind of the nutritional benefit of raw milk outweigh any heightened risk um, that you might have? From the fact that that the raw dairy isn't uh, isn't passed, you know, isn't treated, right. and uh, is zapped, so to kill all the bacteria, and that's I, to me that's that's kind of a, a question that I can't answer. It's a question that individual parents have to answer, or individual consumers have to answer for themselves. In other words, are, are they willing to? Is, is, do they think the the risk is worth it? And um, a lot of them do think it's worth it. A lot of them don't because, I mean, raw milk is still very much a, a, a niche product. But there is a, there, uh, there, the, the, the data we have suggests that uh, maybe as, as many as, uh, um, I think it's uh, upwards of about 10 million people may be consuming raw milk on a, on a regular basis. Um, once again, we don't have good data. And we don't have good data because the, uh, the authorities don't want us to have good data. <laughs> Uh, they, they really, um, they, they just, uh, they, you know, when I say the authorities, I mean the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, the Centers for Disease Control, and uh, local departments, uh, state and local departments of public health and um, departments of agriculture. They really all um, uh, don't like to talk about uh, data. And that's because, you know, like I said, the data that we have, is not especially worrisome, and and you can't really um, see any kind of obvious trends toward uh, you know more illnesses or um, uh, or more of a particular kinds of illnesses or whatever. So, in fact, there's been, there's been a movement in the whole raw dairy arena to to take steps to to improve safety, and so. There, there, there are some indications that this is beginning to take hold, and we may be um, seeing um, fewer uh, illnesses. Uh, but like I said, we don't have a lot of data to, to and that's, that's more impressionistic than anything else. But that the the the, the movement for uh, to encourage farmers to adopt more safety steps and standards is being led by. Um, uh, Mark McAfee of Organic Pastures, he, he started an organization called uh, the Raw Milk Institute. And then what it does is it, it, it basically certifies individual farmers who conform with a whole series of very tough standards that's set up by the organization to um, that they have to demonstrate that they have safe, they're using safe practices. And I think he's got, I don't need, I think they, they, he's got a dozen or 15 uh, raw dairy farms around the country who are members, and because they passed, they, they passed these standards. And but uh, I think a lot of farmers who produce the produce raw dairy have watched this, and even if they haven't kind of, you know, um, 
joined up and allowed themselves to be um, assessed, they, they are kind of uh, participating and taking stock of a lot of this. Just one example, uh, one of the things that the Rami advocates is that farmers do their own testing for pathogens. And it's become easier to do that, to set up essentially a mini lab of their own and because uh, the technology has improved and it's easier to do that kind of testing on your own or to send it out. I know of small dairies that, are, that aren't necessarily members of Rami, the Rami Institute, that are doing this themselves and because they, they, don't want to, they don't want people getting sick. I mean, it's not, not good for business when your product is associated with illnesses. Well, the the business itself um, seems like kind of a nightmare if you're a small farmer because it it and the the first part of that documentary was really interesting, uh, following a number of farmers and showing that you really can't make a living at it alone if you're doing conventional dairy. And then they profile someone doing raw milk, but it, I, I you know I saw myself in that position, just being worried every single day that there would be some child get sick, and then I. You know, then the raid would happen, and I'd be in court for years, and then I'd lose. It seemed like a huge, huge risk, and um, I just, uh, I, I don't know the out or what, what to do about that, or what you think about that, and um, you know. We'll... Yeah, I think that's a good perception. I mean, I think the you have to understand, um, as you said, the, the the first part of what you said, which is that trying trying to make it as a conventional a small dairy farm today is almost impossible. That the economics of the business have just gotten uh, worse and worse and worse. And so that if you're a small dairy farm trying to sell your milk to uh, uh, the big processors, uh, you're almost guaranteed to lose money. And so that's not a real good um, way to uh, run a business or raise a family or, you know, it creates and it creates huge amounts of stress, and um, so we've seen. And as a result, we we actually have seen over the last, really going back, uh, something on the order of fifty years, just a steady decline in the number of um, dairy farms out there. What you have going on is this ongoing consolidation, <clears throat> where small dairies slowly sell out, and then big dairies get bigger, and so so you. The number of cows hasn't necessarily changed all that much because um, you have uh, these, these uh, a huge uh, kind of mega dairies. When you uh, kind of can appreciate how bad the dairy business has become, you, you begin to understand why the raw milk model uh, is is such uh, so attractive. I mean, you have to. Uh, one other thing you have to kind of keep in mind is that. Running a dairy farm is a lifestyle kind of a thing. People run dairy farms oftentimes because it's been in the family for years and years, and they just love the they love the lifestyle. They love being on a farm. They love uh, the uh, uh, the rural living in a in in a rural situation, and and uh, they 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 just uh, like being close to uh, close to the land and close to the to the animals and um, and the you know the kind of um, uh, raising their kids in that kind of environment. So there's a lot of um, attraction to uh, those who are in it. So the uh, now now you have a, the situation if you're just 
you know, in a conventional dairy farm that you've had you know, in the family for several generations, now it's not working anymore. Um, the, the possibility, though, of, of making it a lot of it a lot, make it, finding a way to continue uh, having it work uh, is with raw milk, and, and um, uh, the economics are such that it really is workable. So where your you know conventional dairy farmers uh, are selling their milk for something under two dollars a gallon, and to the processors, and it's probably and they today it's getting closer to a dollar a gallon. That's how bad the, 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 the situation is, and there's oversupply, and so the price keeps going down. But um, if you sell the, the same milk without pasteurization, you can get a eight, ten, twelve, fourteen dollars a gallon. Now, so you're looking at you know um, all of a sudden eight times, ten times, twelve times, fourteen times what you were making before. So, you know now as you suggest, there's a, a kind of overhanging uh, dilemma or, or a threat that someone might get sick. But um, if you really want to preserve this lifestyle, that becomes a, uh, an option and, a, and a more, uh, an ever more attractive option as you see you know, your, your uh, traditional life kind of uh, eroding away. I mean, I should point out that there are a lot of dairy farmers won't, for the reasons you mentioned, just won't do it. And they don't want to. They don't want the, the risk and the potential responsibility, but a good number, more and more of them are, are you know, are, are trying, uh, looking at the raw dairy option. I think there was someone in the in the, in the Netflix movie, who had done that. Someone in Wisconsin, and he was making it. It sounded like he was making it work. Yeah. Uh, and so, um, because uh, the the you know the, the if you're if you run a good operation, a clean operation, and you're pretty careful, you're probably not going to have any illnesses. I mean, there are a lot of farmers that have been doing this for a good while, never had an illness. So um, uh, the the other, there's another group out there which is um, less risk averse about from our point of view, and that's the Amish farmers. And you have a good number of, especially in, uh, out of Pennsylvania and Ohio. Amish farmers who sell milk unpasteurized, and they've attracted a lot of um, these uh, uh, raw milk consumers through uh, buying clubs and, and that sort of thing. At the same time, they've gotten in trouble too, and you covered they that have, on the blog. They have, and they, you know. they've, they, they have, and, and they, they have a, they have um, <laughs> different ways though of, of, of relating to it or reacting to it than. Um, than, than ordinary folks and uh, can, you know, can traditional farmers. So they, they you know, that's, that's a whole, whole other thing. They, um, they're less uh, tied in just um, emotionally and economically to the legal system. They, you know, so they have their ways of coping or trying to cope. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, work. well, what happens when you haul an Amish farmer into a court <laughs> for selling raw milk? Well, all kinds of things potentially can happen. I mean, it's I, I should it's not just Amish. There, there are Mennonites as well. Oh, right, right. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I've had some stories on my blog about about some woman. There was a guy uh, in Pennsylvania by the name of Mark Nolt. And this was back in about 2008, 2009, 2010, the state of Pennsylvania. He's a Mennonite farmer. He, he is, I should say. He's still doing it. 
he's a Mennonite farmer who so, was selling raw milk and the, the state uh, didn't like what he was doing. And they came and they shut down his farm and, and um, uh, then they confiscated his equipment. They hauled him off to jail a couple times. And <laughs> I went to the, you know, and it was, it was all being done in a local court, uh, like, a, like a county court. You know, he, he would, he just took it. I mean, he, you know, they would haul him off the court. And he said, I, I don't report to you. I, I report to a higher power. Wow. And, um, yeah. I mean, he was, he was very, you know, religious man. And he, he uh, felt that was his calling to be able to supply people with, with the, this food that they wanted. And, um, you know, after about two or three years of this, the state gave up. And they just... Uh, they had so many warrants and citations out for him. They couldn't even. They didn't even know what they had. They could. They were. They would. They got confused themselves. Uh, they finally. They didn't. You know. They, 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 I think the head of, that the person in the agriculture department was kind of overseeing this. He eventually. I don't. Know, I think he got fired, or he got, or he left his job. And a new guy came in and basically said, I, I, "I'm not dealing with this stuff." And uh, he's Mark is still out there selling his milk, and mm-hmm. you know. So, um, on the other hand, you have, a, 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 there was a, another guy, um, Dan, um, I'm forgetting his last name, but he, he got, the, the FDA came after him because he was selling raw milk out of Pennsylvania also, but he was selling it in the Washington, D.C. area, and word was that some of his customers included FDA employees. So, um, the FDA didn't like, they got onto him, and they really came after him in a big way, and to the extent that they saw it, uh, they tried to get a federal injunction. And they actually did get a federal in, uh, injunction in, in U.S. District Court. And he finally, you know, he said, I, I can't have these uh, these armed agents coming around my farm with my little kids around here and my wife. And so he, he, he said, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to leave the business and be a carpenter. And that's what happened. Mm-hmm. So you have, you know, you have different. Um, but by and large, the Amish have who have been you know, who, who've been pursued by the authorities are generally, generally stay with it. Uh, there was, and there was a big trial. I mentioned, um, there was a trial in Wisconsin and I think it was 2013 against the name Hirschberger. And he, uh, he was a form. He actually was no longer an Amish. He was, um, he had been raised Amish and then, but he had left the, the, the sect and, um, and he wound up, they, they, they hauled him uh, into court and he went on and had a jury trial for, for a week and the jury um, acquitted him mm-hmm. for most of the charges and he's still selling raw milk. Uh, so uh, then that kind of um, sent a message around the country that this wasn't a really, because it, it was, a it, from the regulator's point of view, it was just a bad situation. They Not only was he acquitted, but, uh, you know, I think out of the, the, the 12 jurors, something like five or six of them wound up joining the guy's food club <laughs> and, <laughs> and, you know, uh, walking out of court with him and congratulating him. And, you know, it was just, um, and these guys, you know, they, they, they had uh, like, you know, a, a team of three or four of their top lawyers going, going after this guy and they just got hammered and, um, Vernon Hirschberger, that's his name. And he, and they just, um, uh, they they, they kind of sent a message around the country that this maybe wasn't a good thing to be doing, so it's kind of gone. You know, it's it's gone uh, all kinds of ways. But the, the problem the Amish have, and and the reason our Vernon, for instance, was able to you know kind of not only you know survive this whole thing, 
was he was no longer, as I said, he was no longer Amish. The Amish have real difficulties because they don't use the, the technology that we use. You know, it's, they, they, they're not on email. They're, um, uh, they, they don't read, they don't know what's, what the media, what's going on in the media. They don't like to hire lawyers. It goes against their, uh, their beliefs. So they don't get the best representation. Well, Vernon, by virtue of being former Amish, he was, he was still very traditional in many ways, but he, he was on, you know, he was on, uh, email and he, uh, he, uh, allowed the uh, Farm to Consumer Legal Defense Fund to, to get him the, one of the best defense lawyers in the state. And he had tremendous legal representation. And this, this lawyer just really, you know, was able to, uh, he, he just <laughs> outgunned these, uh, these uh, regulator attorneys and won the jury over. So um, uh, he didn't have the, some of the handicaps that the uh, Amish tend to have. One of the things I appreciate about your blog is your objectivity, and I know you've also covered the foibles of the pro-milk side. Uh, Sometimes that side seems a little fringy, too, in in terms of its claims, and I I wondered what you would say about about that and what the best way, perhaps, to advocate for raw milk might be. I think one of the the difficulties that the the raw raw milk uh, advocates have some of them i shouldn't say i shouldn't make blanket statements but a, a good number of them are i would say in in a, a lot of denial about the uh, risks around raw milk you have um, uh, a situation where really kind of tragic um, and or at least disturbing to me where you have some of the uh, so these illnesses will happen on occasion you have, uh, when they happen, uh, some of the advocates saying, you know, immediately denying that it had to, it was, the illnesses were, were came from raw milk. And beyond that, uh, seeming to disown the people who got sick or whose children got sick. You know, it's a little like, uh, I'm, I'm reminded of, of the kind of that, that, that scenario that I just described with some of these mass shootings where, um, uh, especially those that happen in the schools, where, uh, and you, you've seen it, um, uh, you know, the, 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 the latest the, 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 recent, the latest one in, in Florida, where not, you, all of a sudden you had the uh, kids in the school uh, objecting and protesting on behalf of their, their, their friends who were killed in, the, in a massacre. And you have uh, the, 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 the pro-gun people kind of disowning these kids or, 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 or disc- trying to discredit them. And it, it's a little bit, there's a little bit of that. In other words, blaming the victim in a, in a way or blaming uh, the, um, the, the, you know, anyone associated, people associated, sympathizers of the victims. It's just, it's a uh, kind of um, scenario that I don't quite get, but it happens and uh, you know it's almost like um, dogs or cats or, or, or um, sheep or uh, that would um, say kick out the runt of the litter or kick out uh, a, a one of their children that gets sick or that, that can't you know can't keep up there's that kind of um, uh, dynamic to the whole thing which um, you know I mean I think uh, 
it's, it's something in, you know, for, in, in the animal world, survival, the fittest, so on and so forth. But in the, you know, in the human world, it seems, um, doesn't seem to necessarily apply, shouldn't like it as if it shouldn't apply that way. So um, that's kind of where I sometimes have a problem where there's, uh, uh, there, there, there's so much um, passion in favor of the, this uh, this food and, and all it symbolizes that anything that that suggests that there may be problems is um, or anyone who suggests that and because I've, I've when I've you know I've been the one on my blog sometimes who's taken issue with the advocates and they come down on me pretty hard and so um, it's uh, it's it's and I I, I, I I think I said at the beginning, I mean, we, it, it's kind of reflective, I think, of the political climate we, we, we see ourselves in today, where uh, there's a lot of, um, just a lot of passion and a lot of hyperbole, and, and, um, and people get really uh, emotional, emotionally uh, committed to their their political position, whatever it is. You know, the raw milk and the, the, the regulation and the, and the way it's uh, handled, you know, is a political issue. I mean, I, I sometimes think that the whole, uh, you know, there's a lot of the extremism we're seeing and, and you know, politically maybe grew out of the whole the, the raw milk issue. I mean, to me, it's always been a, uh, you know, it's not necessarily a systemic problem. I mean, I think that the the, the regulators do favor big ag, and that, and I think and that, that's a result of you know a lot of uh, of the lobbying and the corporate and the camp, you know, the political contributions and all that. So whereby the, uh, you know, the big corporations get favoritism. It's not, that doesn't mm-hmm. just happen in food, but it happens in a lot of areas. But, um, you know, I, I think that, uh, I've always felt as if our system allows for, you know, protest and, and dissent and, um, and, uh, you know, the rule of law, Whereby you you can go to court and and, you, and we have protections in court. You can get a trial by jury if you're you're accused of a criminal um, some kind of a criminal violation. And so we have these things in place and 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 the system uh, you know can uh, can allow for this. But I, I think what we've seen is that and politically and as this happens, this I think started. I started seeing it in the the raw milk world where it's like the system is is broken. And the system doesn't work. That's kind of the the refrain here. Mm-hmm. And so we've just got to we we've got to just screw the system. It doesn't. Then we've got to find a different way. And I think that's part of where Trump got a lot of his support. Is and I, I sometimes think it grew out of that whole, you know, the the injustice uh, around or the the parent injustice around uh, these uh, raids on farmers and. That uh, and a seemingly inflexible, uh, you know, uh, public health and, uh, system that that kind of uh, became an indication of, of other problems and and I think our uh, uh, Mr. Trump uh, exploited that whole sense of you know of victimization, powerlessness, and anger uh, and sense that the system doesn't work. We should just, you know, screw the system and, and go, you know, go with what, uh, you know, the uh, the man in charge wants. 
Spe- speaking of Trump, uh, any indication as to where he or his administration is going with, with raw milk or around the country? No, there really isn't. I mean, when he was first, you know, came into prominence, there were people uh, in the raw milk. I mean, they were so they're so uh, desperate for some uh, straw, uh, some uh, indication of, of hope that there were that the stories I call it, I guess it's like one of these urban, what do they call it, urban, uh, you know, it, it took hold that he was really a secret raw milk drinker, and he was ordering. He <laughs> oh, was ordering, urban myth, urban myth. An urban right, myth, yeah, right. he, was mm-hmm. his, he was getting his, and he was getting his, his milk delivered secretly down in Florida. Really? And yeah, he was a part of a food club down there, and uh, members of his family were picking it up, so he didn't have to kind of, uh, <laughs> and I, I, you know, and I, I I was following him pretty closely because I I had a few few uh, problems just with the things he was saying about dispensing with the Bill of Rights and things like that. But I I, I could so just you didn't have to follow him that closely to realize that he was a big uh, proponent of um, franchise food, fast food, uh, right, right, food, right, franchise food. Yeah. yeah. So uh, he was, uh, and there were pictures of him eating uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken and all that. And so I, I, I said to people, you, uh, you're just, you're, you're, you guys are uh, fast, f- fantasizing here. There's not um, anything going on. And, and that's, that's really proven to be the case. Now, I, I've been thinking about this some more. And, you know, you look at what's happened in the you know, year plus since he's been in office. And there have been some big changes in almost all the, you know, the, the departments that, um, you know, the environmental protection and the State Department and the USDA, Department of Agriculture. Um, there have been a lot of uh, uh, education. But you look at the FDA, and um, I don't see uh, a single indication of change, hmm. uh, especially with regard to food. What I take from that is that the message has gone forth that uh, – uh, the, the word has come, you know, gone down to those people that hey, just keep doing what you're doing. Uh, so that's what they're doing. Um, so I'd say there there has there hasn't been any change, but which is notable because there have been changes in so many other areas. So um, if people want to find out more about you, there's a blog, of course. There's a newsletter which I highly recommend. It's very entertaining. Yeah, can, it, yeah um, just go to my my uh, website which is uh, davidgumpert.com, D-A-B-I-D-G-U-M-P-E-R-T.com. And you'll see there um, uh, options for the blog and options for my books. And, um, and then you can get put on the, um, the newsletter uh, by, by just uh, um, signing up for it. So, uh, yeah, that's the, that, those are the, the main thing. I've, I have done yeah, what are the uh, books, actually? three books. Yeah. Um, one, uh, the first one was called The Raw Milk Revolution. Then the, the, the next one was called Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Food Rights. And the most recent one is The Raw Milk Answer Book. And that, the, the, the last one is a series of uh, questions and answers where I really try to set the record straight and uh, you know, answer some of the questions that you raised, for instance, about uh, risk and safety and, and, uh, and that sort of thing. And, and, um, and look at some of the... Uh, research and uh, it's been done on raw milk. I mean, I think one of the things maybe we, 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 we didn't cover, but just very briefly, there's uh, been a, a fair amount of research done out of Europe 
um, that uh, suggests that raw milk does have uh, benefits for children in terms of reducing their risk for uh, allergies and um, oh right yeah so um, so anyway I I, I, I cite a, a lot of that in the book well yeah you just got back from Europe and I know I, I had French friends here who would smuggle raw cheeses here because it's so much a part of the culture and I, I yeah. wonder you know what what things are like there and how they're different than here and and could we learn something from the way they regulate raw milk there in Europe yeah they're generally more permissive than we are although it should be said that the the, the, the regulation of raw milk varies widely from state to state and there are some states in, which are are very um, uh, uh, I'd say flexible and and, uh, and and permissive with it and uh, places like Pennsylvania and California in particular. Cool. Well, David, thank you so much. I appreciate you uh, spending some time with me. It's nice to talk to you after reading your newsletter yeah. for I don't know how many years now. Yeah. Good to talk with you as well. I yeah. uh, appreciated the questions. That was David Gumpert. You can find his blog and sign up for his newsletter at davidgumpert.com. You can send us an email at rootsimple at gmail.com. Our closing music is by Dr. Frankenstein. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.